1: What's up 49ers faithful it is Zane Ackby back with another episode of the no huddle podcast I know it's been a while uh last show I did was right before the draft and that was two and a half months ago so I apologize you will be hearing from us a lot more very very soon um but today I've got a special guest host with me he is Levin Black he is uh, a Niners fan that I've known for a little bit we follow each other on Twitter so Levin welcome to the show and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself
0: well it's nice to be here finally uh I basically uh, went to school for broadcast journalism, television journalism, did a lot of radio in my time in uh, college, and then uh, was a journalist for a few years, got the opportunity to pursue a more lucrative career. As many may know, journalism is not the most lucrative career, so I uh, (laughs) hung up my media badge, but uh, still enjoy trying to write and do things on the side, so that's kind of why I'm here and why I have the Twitter account and write for the website.
1: Awesome. man! And uh, what made you a Niners fan? Because I always like to talk to people about this that, that I meet and, and just like what made them a Niners fan. Like for me, for example, like the very first game I saw, I believe was the 88 Super Bowl that I remember. I, just, I probably saw more than that before that. But the 88 Super Bowl was the first game that I can remember. And when Montana hit John Taylor in the end zone, that was like, you know, jumping up and down as a kid. And, and I was hooked <laughs> for life. So uh, what about you, man? What, what made you a Niners fan?
0: Well, uh, I was born and raised in Indiana, so obviously I'm a Niners fan, right? (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Basically, long story short, uh, I was born in the 80s, and uh, in the 80s, the Niners were quite popular. In uh, third grade, I had to uh, swap schools in the middle of the school year because I had a teacher we just didn't see eye to eye. Uh, I was a bit of a troublemaker as a kid, and uh, my parents decided to swap me schools And when I got to my new school, it was in uh, early February, and uh, everybody was Niners fans in my new school for whatever reason. Never Mm -hmm. really connected the dots on that, but I became a Niners fan to kind of fit in and make friends in the beginning. But, uh, you know, I obviously was a sports journalist, so sports is kind of a passionate thing for me. And quickly the Niners became my obsession. It wasn't until a good 10 years later that uh, it dawned on me that when I swapped there in February, it was right after the Niners won their last Super Bowl. <laughs> that's why everybody was Niners fans. There you go. So it kinda started go. out on a bandwagon, I guess you could say. But uh un- unrealized by me that it was a bandwagon. Well until I mean much
1: like, later. At this point, like you're you're it's not considered bandwagon if you've been on for twenty-five plus years. At that point you're just like, you're a diehard, right? Because you've been through the ups and downs and and at that point it's like bandwagon's kinda like what's about to happen with the, with the nets right now with KD and <laughs> going over there. Yeah, that's I was going to gonna say, are you
0: in morning over there or what's
1: going on? <laughs> well, the funny thing yeah. is, is, um, uh, and I always love to, to in the offseason talk about other stuff besides football. But, uh, the funny thing is, is that I'm, I'm actually a bulls fan. Um, because I, I was a Jordan fan from back in the day and I don't, I don't switch teams. That's one of my faults as a fan. So I've stuck with the bulls since the nineties. And, um, you know, like I've my wife is from Chicago and and I've got family in Chicago, so um, it's just kind of like the Warriors are are my hometown team, so I support them. But like in my, my heart of hearts, I'm a Bulls fan. It was nice to see the Warriors win, but at this point, everybody knew Katie was gone. Everybody <laughs> knew he was gone.
0: So um, yeah, you'd think I'd be a Bulls fan. Uh, I grew up about two hours southeast of Chicago, there in the northwest part of Indiana, but uh, I'm definitely not a Bulls fan. <laughs> Reggie
1: Miller, right? Like the, the the Bulls and Pacers had some fierce uh, playoff series, right. In the nineties.
0: Yeah. I remember those. And I actually used to root against the Pacers, even though, uh, I was an, <laughs> I was an intern with the Pacers at one point, so I don't really root against them anymore, okay. but, uh, I've always been more of, if I didn't have a reason to latch onto a team, just being local, wasn't the reason, you know, there had to be a reason for it. And, uh, I mainly followed a specific athlete in the beginning. Like there's a certain athlete that I would like and whatever team he ended his career with was the team I stuck with. So mm-hmm. Steve Young was kind of the first one for the Niners. And in basketball, it was Charles Barkley. So I was a Suns fan mm-hmm. for a long time. And now I'm a Rockets fan because that's where he retired. Nice. Well, uh,
1: this will be interesting then. Uh, a guy from the Bay Area <laughs> and a Houston Rockets fan. Well, let's see how that yeah. goes. <laughs> but, exactly. <laughs> um, real quick, getting, getting back to the, the, the football thing. Um, so it's interesting that the Niners – were and and for those not born in the the 80s or 90s they won't know this but the (laughs) Niners were like a cultural sort of more than football sort of team it's like you would go to Canada and you would see people wearing Niners gear and see Niners fans in Canada you'd go to like you know Alabama or Tennessee or places at that time that didn't have a football team I know Tennessee has the Titans now but at that time there's nothing there you see Niners fans everywhere because it was it. They were the it team, even more than the Cowboys. The Cowboys kind of came in the '90s, and and yeah, like people became Cowboys fans, and they they became America's team uh, yet again after the '70s. But the Niners, they were they were one of those teams that were really easy to like for a lot of people. And it's really interesting to me. Like you would see Niners hats everywhere, and you just don't see that right. nowadays, right? You don't see people latch onto a team like that,
0: right? And it wasn't just that the Niners were winning; they were the first team to really kind of perfect the passing game with the whole West Coast offense and Bill Walsh and all that. So it made it all the more popular because, you know, everybody loves offense and not to bring it back to basketball, but Golden State kind of, you know, had that going on. That's why there's so many Golden State fans here. Not only did they win, but they won with an offensive brand. And that's always going to bring in the fans. And that's definitely true. You see a lot of people born in the 80s that are Niners fans all over the country. And that's kind of faded in the last 25 years. But, you know, maybe it can come back couple of Super Bowls to fix that. I think (laughs) the the difference
1: is that nowadays what you see is you don't see teams. I mean, the Warriors kind of did it in, in basketball. That's why, like you said, they have a lot of fans, but you don't see teams revolutionizing the game. The Niners revolutionized football. Like Bill Walsh changed football forever, not just through his coaching tree, but the way that he ran his offense. And like you said, the offensive brand of football that they had, like everything that you see now is predicated off of the West coast offense, the short passing game, you know, trying to get two or three yards at a time, instead of running the ball, they're throwing short, short passes to the running backs involving tight ends a lot. Like a lot of this, this movement by offensive linemen pulling and things like that, that all that is the its principles of the West coast offense. And, and if Bill Walsh never
0: did that, who knows where we would have been out with football right and you can even trace kyle shanahan all the way back to bill walsh because bill Walsh, you know an assistant was mike shanahan and -hmm. obviously kyle learned a lot from his father and came up in that west coast offense but really it's pretty much any offensive coordinator in the league you can trace their roots back to that west coast offense of the 80s that the niners created yeah absolutely so speaking of kyle shanahan getting
1: to this version the 2019 49ers the last, for those of you who may not remember, the last show that I did was right before the draft. And, and loving like mock drafts, to me, they're always interesting because really nobody really knows what's going to happen, right? This is just even the experts, right? Like they are giving their opinion on what they think is going to happen, but there are very few people in the know, specifically with the NFL draft because teams are notoriously quiet about what their plans are unless there's a, a consensus number one pick and things like that. But I don't know if you remember. In the, in the 90s, what used to happen was you'd hear a guy was being drafted number one overall, and they would finalize the contract. You'd hear the contract details before the draft even happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, back when there was actually negotiations, because the uh, sky was the limit when it came to rookie contracts. It wasn't limited like today. It exactly. makes it a little bit easier. Exactly. So, because of that, you know the
1: teams are more keeping things close to the vest, but in my mock draft, I had them going Bosa, and then um, I think it was Hakeem Butler with the second pick, I think. But really a lot of people had these first two picks nailed, right? Like they went Bosa and Debo Samuel, um, which were both, in my opinion, great fits. And um, we'll get to Nick Bosa later on. Um, but when it comes to the draft and what they picked up, I, I on Twitter, I was going back and forth with people about the the punter pick, Mish Wisnowski, at, 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 in the fourth <laughs> round and debating the importance of a punter and, and, and all that stuff. But I really feel like with, pick, the specifically the first three picks, with Bosa... Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd, they really addressed three huge needs that they needed to address to be able to become a better team. You've got D Ford and Nick Bosa now bookending your defense. You've got two new receivers to give to Jimmy Garoppolo, one of whom in Debo Samuel I think is going to be kind of like an Anquan Antoine, Antoine Bolden clone. Like Anquan was one of those guys that wasn't super fast, but he was physical. He can make those catches over the middle, so I think Debo's very similar to that. And Jalen Hurd, I, I, I wanted Hakeem Butler because... I thought that the height would really matter, but Jalen Hurd has that height, right? Like, you, you want a guy that's more than just tall. Jalen Hurd was a running back in college, right? So he's used to carrying the ball. So, right. those three picks specifically, like, to me, really made this draft.
0: And I think, I think the Niners have a very clear philosophy, especially with uh, Kyle Shanahan in particular. What he's looking for is he wants people who are great with the ball. After They get it. He's not worried about them being able to get open because he can get them open. Mm-hmm. I think that's a different philosophy that we're seeing with those picks, especially the Jalen Hurd one. Jalen Hurd is very, very raw as a, as a wide receiver because he was a running back. Mm-hmm. But Kyle Shanahan knows he can get him the ball. And once he has the ball in his hands, he can do a lot. And you saw a lot of that with George Kittle. George Kittle was very much a project coming in. You know, he was a blocking tight end because Iowa doesn't pass to the tight end much, but he was an athletic freak that tested off the charts and Kyle Shanahan knew he could get the ball in his hands. And we saw last year what happens when Kittle gets the ball in his hands. Mm -hmm. He made a lot of big breaks, breaking tackles and getting down the field. And I think Heard especially kind of falls into that. He's not as polished, but once he gets the ball in his hands, he can do a lot of damage.
1: Yeah. And. And I'm one of those guys that, I mean, going back to last year that can do a lot of damage with the ball in his hands, Dante Pettis is another guy, right? Like former punt returner. He's able to do a lot with the ball in his hands. And I think that the, the overall theme for the draft was like, hey, let's get guys that can make plays. And they may not be the guys that people think. And, and I think the misconception that people have with the, with the draft or any draft for any team is that just because they don't draft the guys that you want doesn't mean that's an unsuccessful draft. I mean, do, do you kind of share in that same belief?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's football. It's not as clear-cut as, say, like a baseball, where if a guy can hit, he can hit. Mm -hmm. You have a system that is so unique that it takes a certain type of player to be able to be good in it. And that's why you see players that they might get drafted by one team or picked up as an undrafted free agent by one team, doesn't make it, gets cut eventually, goes to another team, and all of a sudden he's a star. Mm -hmm. A lot of it has to do with system fit. And I think the Niners especially are drafting for system fit.
1: Yeah. And I think that with, when you do draft for system fit, like you're going to, you're, you will have some misses here and there. Like, I think that they thought that CJ Beathard would be be a system fit and they traded up for him and and, and it just didn't work out. And, and, and he's still on the team obviously, but in terms of his first 12 starts, it just, it just hasn't gone well. And Nick Mullins came in and, and, and that whole competition is still going on. But I think that they have an overall theme on this team and they want to get better at the skill positions and, and last year's wide receiving group was was pretty bad. I mean not not one receiver had more than 500 yards receiving. They're the only team in the league. Yep. And right. that's unacceptable. In this today's NFL, that's unacceptable for one guy, not even one guy to get 500 yards on the year. That's like that's like 30 yards a game.
0: Yeah, and it, obviously injuries played a heavy role in that and I think that, that's one of the themes of the offseason. I think the Niners one wanted athletic freaks. That's why you saw somebody like uh, Quan Alexander signed to a big contract, but they also wanted depth at skill positions. And Mm -hmm. that's why we drafted Hurd in the third, Debo Samuel in the second. He wants depth because last year injuries ravished our wide receiver corps. And that really affected the team and the ability to win. And that is something that's been addressed and why there's no more excuses anymore. You know, it's one of the things I said, I think progress is the thing I expect this upcoming season. That can be a pretty broad definition, but there's no longer the excuse of injuries because the Niners, from year one to two, improved the roster but didn't have much depth last year, and that hurt when all the injuries came. This year, they have the depth. They've addressed the things that they need depth in. That's your wide receivers, your linebacker corps, your defensive line. They didn't really address the secondary much, Mm -hmm. but if that front seven can withstand whatever injuries come and still be dominant, which they should be able to do. Secondary won't be as big of an issue. And the Niners should be able to see wins even if they have a bunch of injuries again.
1: Yeah, I agree. It takes about two years to flip a roster entirely. In the first year, you're just cleaning out the guys that were from the previous regime. In the second year, you're really just setting a new foundation. And this roster, when Trent Balky left, was, if not the worst in the league, among the worst in the league. And he left the cupboard completely bare for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and it, and it, took them time. And I think that they're, they're trending up. Like they've done some things that I, that I don't necessarily agree with. You mentioned they haven't really addressed the secondary, specifically the safety position. And right. the more that I think about it, the more it feels like they may convert Tarverius more to back to safety, which was, was his college position right. and a position that he, that he tested better at a position that he was higher ranked and pro football focus at. I think that that's his natural fit. And to make him a, an outside corner because of this, his, his straight line speed and his size wasn't the best idea. I think that now that with Jason Verrett coming on and hopefully being healthy, you can now put guys back into the positions that they were supposed to be in. Like the Niners had Marcel Harris playing free safety at one point last year and he's not, he's not a free safety. He's, he's a right. strong safety. He's an in the box safety. He should be backing up Jaquaski Tart in my opinion. So because of things like that, I, I think that I see the vision. It just really scares me that they didn't address the safety position at all. Like I'm not i I'm not a big believer in Jimmy Ward. I, I really am not. Like when he was a rookie, I was and, and that Brandon Marshall game happened against the Bears and he was getting torched. I was like, well, that's Brandon Marshall. And that was like Brandon Marshall in his prime. And <laughs> so because of that, I kind of gave him a pass. I was like, all right, he's just a rookie. This happens, corners. I'm thinking back to to Ahmed Plummer and Mike Rumpf and all these guys <laughs> that they drafted. Bad and,
0: memories.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and I'm like, he he can't be like that. Well, they've had really bad luck with corners in the first round. He can't be like that, and he turned out to be just like that. I mean, not necessarily in a playing sense, but he just never stay healthy. And and to me, the best ability in football or in sports is availability. And if you can't stay on the field, you're of no use to the team. But despite that, they brought him back again <laughs> for another year, and right. and he ended up breaking his collarbone in camp, and 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 he's hurt again. And it's just, you know, when when I wanted personally like I wanted Earl Thomas, and when a guy like that is on the market and playing the wanting to play in the defense that you you that you run and you can dangle the carrot that they dangle to Sherman of being able to play your former team twice a year, yep. I'm shocked that they didn't make a har- a harder push for that, especially given the fact that they had a need there and this defense, if the secondary falters, it's probably going to be because of the safety position at corners. you've got Sherman who's a Hall of famer. You've got Jason Verrett, who's a who's a Pro Bowler and a really talented player when he's healthy. So the the weak spots are the safeties, and if they if they can't get that that together, then it's a huge miss in a year that that was heavy on safeties.
0: Right. It's definitely the biggest gamble this front office took this offseason was not addressing the secondary, and I think they they have a a clear idea of what they want and why they think they don't need to address it. It's a huge gamble, but I think. In their opinion, if you have a dominant front seven that really gets after the quarterback, throws the quarterback off his timing, doesn't allow him to step into throws, makes him be on the move when he's throwing, your secondary doesn't matter as much. All you need is the athletes, people who are athletic, bigger, capable of making up that space, filling in the gaps. That's why you have somebody like Adrian Colbert. You know, mm-hmm. he he's very, very athletic, has a lot of speed there. He's a name that I haven't heard mentioned much in the offseason. season he was a starter as a rookie and was a starter at the beginning of last year before injury. Maybe he steps in, maybe more steps in. He's also very athletic there. I think that's their idea. Will it work out? Time will tell. But I think that is their opinion that if you have that dominant front seven that can get after the quarterback, your secondary doesn't matter as much because there's going to be a lot of throws that don't have the zip on them and they have time to get there as long as they have that closing speed. Like I said, time will tell if it doesn't work out. Uh, that's 100% going to be the main thing this front office has looked at. And John Lynch in particular is probably going to get a lot of criticism for if this season doesn't go the right way and the secondary is getting torched. There's going to be a lot of talk all of a sudden about whether John Lynch is is the right guy for that position. Yeah, and I go back to the
1: Jim Harbaugh teams of of the early 2010s, the 2011 through 2014 teams. Those teams had a really, really dominant front seven, arguably – the, the best front seven in football and your corners on those teams were guys like Carlos Rogers, Terrell Brown, you had safeties, Deshaun Goldson, who was an all pro, but never did anything after you left the Niners Dante Wittner, who is a, a good player with, uh, before with Buffalo, but he never really did anything after leaving the Niners. You had guys that, that really didn't come off as perennial all pro players or the best at their position. They kind of made it work with who they had and i i think that because of that the the they got this idea that they can kind of replicate that um i, I really am a firm believer in vic fangio and his defense like i'm a huge vic fangio yep. fan and i think he's going to do great things in denver as their head coach and i was super happy for him i thought he should have been the head coach instead of jim Sula when yep. uh harbaugh was out but uh that's a story for another day but <laughs> i i think that uh or, I mean, that's, you know, honestly speaking, that, that whole debacle of Harbaugh thing, we could talk for for like literally months about that, but um, we, won't, we won't go down, down that road just yet. <laughs> um, but as, as far as the front seven goes, I, I agree with that. I really do. If you got guys that can put pressure on the quarterback, they're having to release it early, or the, the timing gets messed up on a route, and your defenders can jump that. So I think that they're kind of buying into that same thing. The only issue I have with that is that those Jim Harbaugh, Vic Fangio teams on defense had some of the best players in the league at their position and and I'm not sure if the Niners have that right now. Buckner you can say is is an elite player. He can he's one of the best D tackles in the league. You could put yeah. him right behind Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald Fletcher, Fletcher Cox and then Buckner is next to me. But who really aside from Sherman who's just coming back from from an injury was playing on one leg basically last year, you can't really say anybody else on the defense or specifically in the front seven is the best in the league. Quan Alexander is a a former pro bowler and he's only 24 years old and has a ton of talent. Um, And you've got D Ford who had that great year last year and, and, and Nick Bosa, who in my opinion was the best player in the draft. Like you've got some of those potential pieces there, but like they really have to show it. And I think that that adds to the uncertainty of this, of this upcoming season. Am I crazy for thinking that? or, Or do you, do you feel the same way?
0: No, I mean, I mean, things look great on paper, but that's just paper. And there's a lot of unknown. Will Ford be able to really replicate it? You know, he's a little undersized and he's pretty much a speed freak. And, you know, I, I don't want to say one trick pony because it's a great trick and he has some nuances to his speed moves, but it's mm-hmm. all speed. You know, he's not going to bull rush anybody really. Um, and then you have Nick Bosa who, yeah, everybody thinks he's a great prospect, but it's still a prospect. There's been plenty of can't miss prospects that have never panned out. So there's a lot of unknown there. You know, Quan Alexander with his injury. So you really going to be back full strength or not? You know, will he be the same as he was in Tampa? And mm-hmm. let's be honest, there were there's some question marks with Quan even when he was healthy. You know, his tackling's not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, But I kind of like the whole picture. But it, it can still not work out. It's no no sure thing that the Niners will have a dominant front seven. It sure seems that way. Uh, if it doesn't, the Niners are in a whole lot of trouble. No matter how much the offense can score, because if that front seven is not as dominant as it is on paper, that secondary is not going to hold up. You know, we we saw that last year. The mm-hmm. secondary might be able to hold up for the first couple seconds, but their problem was it seemed like once they didn't get to the quarterback, because Buckner was really the only guy who could get to the quarterback with any kind of consistency. The quarterbacks were getting three, four, five seconds mm-hmm. to find that open man. And they were finding it because our secondary isn't the best. And they might have an initial play call that's good. But after a couple seconds, there's not many defenses that can stay with the receivers. I mean, especially once they kind of get free reign to move around and the quarterback's on the move and it changes everything. It's hard to keep guys from getting open. That front seven has to be dominant to stop that from happening again.
1: Yeah, and that brings me to my next point about uncertainty over this upcoming season. And the Niners have made a lot of moves this offseason to improve the roster. Like you can undoubtedly, undoubtedly say that the roster this year is better than what they had last year and significantly better than what John Lynch inherited when he first started. But have they done enough? Have they really gone out and gotten guys that they can count on? And I want to say that they, that they have, but it's kind of a wait and see approach because like you said, there are so many guys that are coming back from injury. Think about the guys that they have. That are coming back from injury that are projected to be starters or at least compete for starting spots, and we'll include Jimmy with this too. So Jimmy Garoppolo, we still Jimmy. I think that Jimmy is going to be a great quarterback. I think he's going to be elite. I think that if you put him in the right system and you surround him with enough weapons, he can be one of the best in the league. And I still, I still adhere to that belief, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to stick to that. But the fact of the matter is that he he didn't play much of last year, and he's never finished a full season. So your starting quarterback, your um, starting running back in Brita had a had a season-ending injury. Your, right. um, you know Dante Pettis played half a season last year basically because he had various ailments. You've got on defense, you've got Quan Alexander coming back from a torn ACL. You've got Nick Bosa coming back from his core abdomen Pectoral. injury. The pec and, yep. yeah, he had some sort of uh, abdomen or pec injury that that shut him down for the year in college after three games. You've got Jimmy Ward coming back from a season ending injury. You've got Colbert coming back from a season ending injury. Uh, Jason Verrett and uh, Jacoski Tart. I mean, the list goes on, right? All these guys. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, Weston Jerick Lynchburg, McKinnon. all those e- guys. Yeah. Exactly. I totally forgot about Jet. So, yeah, Jarek McKinnon as well, right? So, these are all guys that you're looking to count on. And none of them finished last year. <laughs> so, it's like, what can you really say about this year? It basically, that I don't know, like you are going to have injuries again and some of these guys will get hurt again, but we're hoping no, like it's just, to me, it's so hard to fathom like the amount of injuries that they've had over this last two years. But at the same time, it's like, well, you're also bringing in guys with past injury histories. So I'm not entirely (laughs) surprised. Yeah. I, I just think that they, there's a part of me is like, there's too much reliance on guys that haven't been able to stay healthy. Like I said about the availability issue earlier, you have to be, able to play to be able to show what you can do and and if a guy can't play then he's of no use to you so there's one part of me that says like hey you're spending way too much time and money on guys that aren't available to start in a 16 game season for the majority of the career jason verrett's an example of that he's only played five games over the last three years i believe so
0: it kind of scares me i does that how do you feel about that well i think that's where the depth comes in you know uh, yeah, Jarek McKinnon's coming back from injury, so is Brita. Um, But they got a lot of depth there at the running back position. Most start, if you want to count him as a running back, is also coming back. But uh, they, they have a lot more depth there. They signed Coleman. That's going to help uh, immensely. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Coleman ends up being the main back. Um, but then also at the wide receiver position, if Pettis gets injured, if Goodwin gets injured, you have Debo there. You have Hurd who can step in. They signed Jordan Matthews. You know, there is depth there if they have some training camp injuries or early in the season, they have injuries. And that's where that's going to come into play is that this year, unlike last year, the Niners can withstand some injuries, especially at the skill positions. Offensive line, that's the one key group. If that has injuries, the Niners in a world of hurt because there's not much depth on the offensive line. I think the starting five are pretty good, but outside of that, there's not much there. And as far as Jimmy goes, You're right. He's still very much in the air. A lot of what he is and why he's so highly thought of is the eyeball test. You know, he's only started nine games for the Niners, but he looks like the part. He looks like a great pro bowl caliber quarterback, but he's Mm -hmm. still got to prove it. The three games last year, if you're being honest, if you really break them down and there's been plenty of people to have, it wasn't that great, but it's Mm -hmm. early in the season. You know, he's was still picking up the system, and the Niners had a lot of new people. You know, he's throwing to somebody like Pettis as his main guy, somebody like Kittle as his main guy. The running backs were obviously decimated by injuries. So now with all those guys coming back, Jimmy's got to put it together. And if he doesn't, I mean, it's unfathomable to think about now, but if Jimmy doesn't put it together or if Jimmy has another major injury the Niners could be starting to question whether or not he's the answer. Which is unfathomable mm-hmm. to think about. And that's a question for next offseason. Mm-hmm. But he does have a lot to prove still. So I'm gonna mark this date then. And next offseason,
1: <laughs> we're gonna talk about the we're gonna have our answer, right? He's right. We're, we're gonna know. We're gonna know one way or the other, whether Jimmy is the guy or not. Hopefully, and hopefully he will be. But I think that so stepping back for a moment and talking about those first three games from last year. If you look at the first game against Minnesota, first of all, the the first seven or eight weeks of that schedule were absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe yep. the league ended up giving the Niners, who had basically like a last place schedule, that schedule to start the season. I I challenge anybody to find any team that have had a tougher stretch to start the season than the 49ers did, which was you... you play a bunch of playoff teams right at the beginning and have a, a softball second half of the schedule, but then your your season's already over by the second half. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. So you're seeing the opposite of that this year. You're seeing that the, the soft part being the first half, and yep. then the second half will be get significantly tougher, and we'll get to that, that later on. But I think that with Jimmy Garoppolo's performance last year, you have to understand that in the first game against Minnesota, first of all, that's a really tough place to play for anybody. And you open the season there, and you lo- immediately lose – part of your offensive line to the point where I believe uh, both guards ended up getting injured. So, uh, so McGlinchey in his first game had to flip over to, to, to guard, to right guard, because there were no, there were no bodies available. And really when that happens, it's like, do you, do you even have a chance when you have that, that amount of uh, uh, bad luck with injuries just in the first game of the season? I am not, not I'm not I'm not making excuses because Jimmy could have been better, and I did expect better from him, but really like Marquise Goodwin goes out on the first series of the game. He was Jimmy's go-to guy last year. Uh Kittle drops what should have been a, a touchdown. Yeah. Garcon drops what should have been a touchdown. Alfred Morris, who was on the scrap heap in the offseason, <laughs> they find to start for them. Like he was he fumbled on the on the one-yard line and then again on the goal line. Like it's just I can't I can't take people's opinions seriously when they say that jimmy was trashed i'm not saying that you're one of those people but there's people who have trashed him over right. that performance and and last season when you're throwing to like kendrick Bourne and a rookie dante pettis in his first game and and you have matt Breda, who's never been a starter full time as as you're running back after mckinnon was benched and your offensive line is swiss cheese you know what i mean like it's just you have to give the guy a fair shot and yeah, And you're playing,
0: you're playing on the road in Minnesota, which if I'm not mistaken, was the best defense the previous year, exactly. last year, they had some injuries that, so their defense kind of fell off a little bit, but they were a top notch defense at that time. You know, uh, Griffin wasn't, uh, going MIA yet and all that stuff. So that was a great defense. And I actually attended that game, uh, mm-hmm. uh, cause I kind of live somewhat close to Minneapolis and oh, nice. so I saw it firsthand and yeah, yeah there was a lot of reasons why it didn't work out and it wasn't all on Jimmy. Um, And I'm definitely in the boat of Jimmy's for real. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not somebody that thinks he was terrible last year. I think he was up and down, which is to be expected because he's still getting into the groove of that offense. You know, a lot of quarterbacks are kind of up and down in the beginning of the season. You get into that five, six, seventh week, and that's when they really start to turn it on. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy never got that opportunity last year. Just making the point, though, that he's not for sure either. I think there's there's two sides people tend to take. and You know, fans always seem to take the extremes. There's the fans that think, oh, no, he was terrible. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have signed him to that contract. And there's the ones that say, no, he's an MVP caliber quarterback. Mm-hmm. I don't think we know that either way yet. I think he's somewhere in the middle, and he can prove to, to end up going either way, really. Yeah, I agree. And... And
1: to that point, it's, it's best to look at it from a balanced point of view. Like he's not going to be what he was in 2017 where he was just carrying the entire team and, and he's going to be undefeated and all that stuff. That's, he's not going to be that, but I don't think he's going to be what you saw last year either. Like the the Detroit game, he was significantly better specifically in the first half. He was a lot better. And I think that part of it was Kyle Shanahan realizing that like, Hey, I need to dial this back a little bit because Jimmy's not Superman. Like he's still a guy who's, we still have to understand that. Yeah. Just because, he played behind Tom Brady and and he played in that system and he won a bunch of games when he came to the Niners. He's still a young quarterback. He's still he's twenty-seven years old. He's still never played a full season. So he's gonna take his time with growing. And right. what it comes down to is is that he's gonna have growing pains and people need to understand that and be and be understanding of that. They really want him to be the man and really want this team to do well. You have to show patience and you have to you have to understand that these things take time and like I said, like the next week against Detroit last year, he played fine. And in the second half, he was like just okay and threw a pick six that really wasn't a pick six. But again, like if you step back and look at that from a thirty thousand foot view, there sh- it was a third and one, and there is no reason that Kyle Shanahan should should have called a passing play on that right. on that down, especially when you're trying to run out the clock. Like I don't know why you're throwing it there. So to me, yeah, Jimmy threw the through the quote unquote interception that was called back, but really, Kyle Shanahan, what are you doing? Like you have you can't. You can't do that in that in that position. I think you realized by the end of the year he couldn't. And then the next year, the next week in KC, and nobody won in KC. Look, look at look at the their home record last year. The only team that won in Kansas City was the New England Patriots. And that's it. Tom Brady was the only quarterback to win in Kansas City last year. So if you want to say that that Jimmy Garoppolo, not you, but like the people out there want to say that Jimmy Garoppolo should have gone into Kansas City, the best home team in the league last year and, and won. You, with a depleted roster, you got to be kidding me. So, I think a lot of perspective is needed, and I think that this year you'll see a better Jimmy Garoppolo. I I don't know if you've been looking at the updates from training camp, but to me, I just can't wait to see him on on the field. Um, well, mini camp, training camp has yet to start as of the recording of the show, but really, like I can't wait to see him on the field. Seeing him take those drills and throw those passes looks like he has a lot of zip on the ball. Looks like he's moving really well. The knee brace looks fine. I just can't wait to see him on the field. And I'm just, I mean, man, I'm just itching to see football right now. I know that that all this NBA stuff is happening and and free agency and a lot of stuff, but like, I'm just (laughs) itching to see football. This is all just filler for me until football season.
0: Right. I I think that's how most of us are. Uh, the other sports are just filler until football season. That's why we write for football and not the other sports. But Uh no, I, I, I think, uh, Jimmy has looked good and there's been a lot of players on the Niners that have been raving about him saying, yeah, he, he's for real. He's back. I think Kittle was one of them saying, you know, he's throwing it as well as he was last year. Mm. Uh, but you're right. There is a lot that uh, to be excited for. There's a lot of Kind of unknowns, you know, what's Debo going to really look like once things get going, you know, especially in the preseason when you really get to see him go head to head against somebody. What's Jalen Hurd going to be? Is he a project that's really not going to factor into the receiver core a whole lot because he's still going to learn so much? Or is he going to be an athletic freak that Kyle Shanahan figures out a way to get the ball in his hands? You know, Jarek McKinnon, what's he going to be? Who's going to be the starting running back? You know, is Jarek going to be back to the athletic freak he was? Uh, how much passing is going to be going to the running backs because Coleman can catch it. Breeda improved immensely in the catching game last year, and that's Jarek McKinnon's M.O. is a catching running back. You know, uh, he got all sorts of stuff. I, I think the offense this coming season could be a really crazy one because of all the offensive weapons in the passing game. I mentioned the running backs, but you also obviously have Juice. You have Kittle. You have all those new wide receivers. Shanahan has a lot that he can do and he can get really fancy with some things you know i i'm really excited in particular to see that is he gonna get really crazy with like motions where he completely changes the formation lines up one way motions guys around and completely changes you know that there, there's been some speculation like herd could be used as kind of like a second tight end start mm-hmm. out you know as him in slot motion him into as a second tight end you know there's so much to be excited about in that offense specifically, and knowing that Kyle Shanahan is the one calling the plays because he's an offensive mastermind like nobody else in the league.
1: Yeah, and one of the guys that that we didn't mention was actually Marquise Goodwin as well, and he's he's the incumbent kind of veteran receiver now of that group. And uh, I don't know if you saw, but he he uh, won the the, the f- yeah. like Golden Forty or whatever they yeah, called Million basketball. Dollar Man. The Million Dollar Man. He he just won that, and that was uh just a couple of days ago that that uh, that he was able to claim the title. I guess the fastest man in the NFL, and apparently Ted Ted was the guy that (laughs) called this whole thing, and he no showed. So really, it's just it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to see the Niners getting notoriety like that, and and shout out to Marquise on that. He's had he's had a rough last couple of years, and hopefully he's coming up out of that, and he'll he'll have a good year this year. Uh, But really. There are, like you said, so many weapons on the offensive side that, that they can play with now that they didn't have before. And hopefully everybody stays healthy, fingers crossed. And hopefully they have a, a scheme fit for all of these guys. Like the last thing you want is for them to draft somebody or sign somebody and they can't, they don't know where to put him. When, when Denard Robinson was drafted, you remember he was, he came out of Michigan as a quarterback, <laughs> right. but they drafted him as like, what was it? Offensive weapon. It was like, Oh, right. double. <laughs> it was an actual position. And nobody really knew what to do with him and his career kind of fizzled out. like because. Nobody knew where he would where he would play. So as long as you have a guy that can fit that role in your scheme, it doesn't matter to me where he plays. And I think Jalen Hurd, I'm really excited about that because you don't know what his potential is. Is he going to be like a Delaney Walker, a, a really fast or or athletic second tight end that will take the pressure off of your, your TE1? Is he going to be one of those guys that can line up out of the backfield? Is he going to be like a, a, a receiver out of the slot and on the outside like a jump ball guy? it's just there's so many possibilities on the offensive side and on defense. Like, man, I'm so excited to see Nick Bosa and D Ford on the field at the same time. I am absolutely thrilled that they finally, after so many years decided to get an edge rusher. Alden Smith was the last one and they never really had anybody after that. But now finally, I really feel like they can, they can have that, that uh, double sort of edge pressure that they've been lacking so many years and needing so many years. And it's going to make the entire defense better. It's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch a defensive line that has a bunch of first round picks on it. I, I believe NFL Network called it one of the scariest defensive lines in the league, if not the most dominant on paper. So there's a lot to look forward to this season. And I, I was asked to contribute to an article that was written on on Webzone, and we were talking about what the Niners' expectations would be this year. And it's kind of hard to make this. This sort of evaluation prediction before they've even put right. ads- on for camp <laughs> and training camp, but the best answer that I could give is that, I don't know, like I don't know what they're going to do. They, they, they could be really good, or they could, because of injuries, be really bad. But all things considered, I, I'm going right down the middle, I'm like, this is this team, in my opinion, if they stay healthy and everything stays at level par, like you you get the performances that you think you're going to get out of everybody, they'll be contending for a playoff spot. I don't think they're ready to take the next step to compete with a team like the Saints or like the Patriots or the Rams or or the the top teams in the league, but I think that this is a team that will compete really hard every week, to compete for one of the wild card spots and you're going to see them probably around 8 wins, between 8 to 10 wins and really man like if they get if they have less than 8 wins, if they've got another four win season or six and 10 seasons or something like that, then you're going to start seeing, and everybody's, and everybody's still healthy. You're still, you're going to start seeing that the heat on John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan at that point. I really, I really think that's going to be the case.
0: Right now on that panel article on the web zone, that, that's where I said my expectations were simple progress, the mm-hmm. broad definition, but you know, obviously it, it's hard to predict the Niners cause they had so many injuries and they also have a lot of new players coming in, but I expect progress. And I mentioned there that they have the depth this year. Last year, they didn't have it. And what that means is the Niners have no business picking in the top five, no matter how many injuries. It doesn't matter if Jimmy Garoppolo goes down, you know, I don't like to say it, but goes down in training camp. It doesn't matter. Nick Mullins is there. You know, he has certain shortcomings when it comes to, you know, he, he doesn't really have a fastball. And there's mm-hmm. certain throws that he's not going to be able to truly make without being a high risk. But he's one of the best backups in the league. There, there's no way that this roster should be picking top five. Flip side, if they stay healthy, if Jimmy's healthy all season and they only have you know your normal injuries, you know no team stays perfectly healthy, they should be in playoff contention all the way to the end of the season. And that's what I said in that article. They should be, if healthy, in contention for playoffs all the way through the end of the season. If they're not healthy, there's no reason they should be picking top five and really should be no reason to pick them. You know, top 10. To me, they're, they're a team that even if things break bad, they should be able to win five, six games, which keeps them out of the top five. Some seasons you're, you're picking, you know, right around 10, 11 there. And if everything breaks well, they can win 10, 11 games. If they get some, you know, lucky bounces, you know, fumbles are always unpredictable in that manner. But if they get some lucky bounces, make the right play at the right time, I could see this team winning 11 games on the top end.
1: Yeah, I think so, and and uh, I don't want to I don't want to burn the the season preview episode that's going to happen <laughs> closer to the season. But <laughs> again, it's so hard to predict what they're going to do because we don't know what the final roster is going to be like. We don't know what the cuts are going to be like. You're going to have at least one familiar-ish name from the receiving group that's going to be cut this year, whether it's Jordan Matthews not making the group, or whether it's a guy like Richie James or Trent Taylor or something like that. You're gonna you are going to have at least one name that you're familiar with, or Kendrick Bourne, you're going to have at least one familiar name with that group that you're not going to see this upcoming season. And I'm just using that as an, as an example, but that sort of stuff happens around the league all the time and on teams all the time. So it's really hard for me to make a prediction on that. And I always hate predictions because, uh, first of all, I'm never right. And <laughs> second of all, it's just one of those things where it's so hard to predict when you're dealing with humans and injuries and stuff like that. It's so hard to predict what's going to happen. That's why football is not made to be played on, on a calculator or on paper, or on a computer. And it's why people like us also love talking about football because there's a lot to talk about. And, and one of those guys who's talking and giving a prediction was Adam rank on uh, NFL network. And we were talking about this <laughs> off air before the show. And he predicted the 49ers to go three and 13. And when I saw that, I, I kind of just chuckled to myself. I'm like, man, people just don't really pay attention to all 32 teams in this league. And I understand that guys on NFL network, and I'm not picking on NFL network. This is just like network X, right? We'll just take the name off of it. But (laughs) guys on these these big networks and national sort of media outlets, they don't really pay attention to every team closely because they can't, because you have to cover all 32. So you kind of give this like – Cliff Notes version of what you think is going to happen without really diving in and seeing the context behind what happened the year before and he picked the Niners to go 3-13 and 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 I thought that was a complete joke I thought it was trash because there is no way conceivably, no way that with the healthy Jimmy Garoppolo with all the talent that they've added also being healthy that they will have less wins than they did last year there is no way that that happens. So I thought it was total trash. I hate it when national media people do that. And I think that it was really just done for clicks and to yep. be like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm different. And I can say that this happens. And, and when it doesn't, and when this person's proven wrong, they're just going to forget about it and they won't take accountability for it. And they'll just say, they'll just say, Oh, well, blah, 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 blah. Make some excuse that, that is completely incoherent. So I saw, I saw that. I had a laugh. I don't know if you saw it, but it was just kind of funny to me.
0: Yeah. It, it's that time of the off season. Let's put it that way. It, it's the time of the off season where the NFL kind of fades away. People start talking a little bit about baseball. Start talking a little bit about basketball free agency. It's hard for the NFL to stay in the headlines. It works for NFL network. You had to say something controversial to get people talking and, you know, it It, it works. We're talking about it right now. And it's been a couple of weeks since he said that, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, he might as well have predicted Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are fired as well. Cause if we go third, if the Niners go three and 13, uh, I don't see them surviving, even though I, I think that's pretty unfathomable. And I think they're in near lock and pretty safe. I don't even think there's a little bit of heat right now, but three and 13 going backwards after signing all these big names. Uh, yeah, you might as well have predicted that they get fired as well. This three and 13, I just don't see as a possibility.
1: No way. Yeah, no way that they, that they end up at that record. Signing all these big players and drafting a punter. Punting <laughs> is important to games, right? Punters are people too. Punters can affect the outcome of a game. So are kickers. Do- <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember all the people that were trying to convince me of this. So yeah. uh, uh, real quick before we move on, I... I- I was literally in a back and forth for like a week over this and Twitter can be exhausting at sometimes, right? Because there's a lot of really fun people to interact with and a lot of like really knowledgeable people that, that I like to talk to and and fans that, that I like to go back and forth and it's, and it's only good fun. I'm never personal. I always appreciate the feedback and I always appreciate the conversation, but some people were just very passionately arguing over the importance of a punter. And I know Mitch Wisnowski is, is a, a very good punter and he played very well last year in Utah and, and, He's got that hang time that everybody raves about, and he's been playing or, or, or punting pretty well in in minicamp without the pads on. But really, to spend a fourth round pick, in my opinion, on a punter, no matter how good he is, when you when you had depth issues you mentioned earlier at the at the guard position, offensive line, and you have issues in the secondary that you need you need depth and things like that, and you have guys getting hurt at other positions, it was just kind of out of left field for me. And my knee jerk reaction to that was like, why? Why Why did you make that pick? And everybody came back with, oh, well, the Patriots would have drafted him and, and this and that. Right. Yeah, but that's, that's the Patriots. They're the defending Super Bowl champions. You don't have that roster. You don't have that luxury. You don't have the ability to go out and say, oh, hey, what do we need? Because we already have the best quarterback, arguably, of all time, the best coach of all time, and a roster that's ripe and ready for another Super Bowl run. Oh, what do we need? Oh, we need a puncher. Let's go get him. Like, you don't have that luxury as as the 49ers. You're still competing to be over 500 you're not a super bowl roster so because of that i i, I was really critical of it and and after this I'm, i i kind of made a statement to myself that i'm not going to kill them for doing that after <laughs> a certain point and and that's today <laughs> after today i'm not going to kill them for for doing that that uh making that pick but i realized that andy lee when he was on the niners he affected a lot of games and things like that but right. when it comes down to it people were coming up with all sorts of like asinine arguments of like, Oh, well, when's the last time a fourth rounder did anything for the Niners? Well, when's the last time a second round wide receiver did anything for the 49ers? And now you're expecting Dante Pettis to be a star. Like it it doesn't past performance doesn't indicate future success, especially with the draft. It doesn't. Every draft is its own entity and every round in every draft is its own entity. Every pick is every its own entity. You can't just be like, Oh, well, the Niners drafted really well in the last 10 years in the 4th round and now this year it's going to be great in the 4th round because the last 10 years they have a streak of like making their pigs making the pro bowls every year. You can't you can't make that that correlation. It's it, it, to me I understand that people want to want to be right and be the smartest guy in the room and whatever, but when it comes down to it you're not good enough to add a punt, try to add a punter in the 4th round. You're not. But that being said, first of all, he better be the best punter I've ever seen being drafted there and second of all i'm i'm happy that at least they they address that position i'm happy to hear that he's doing really well in camp i hope he stays healthy i think he's going to be a really great weapon now that he's on the team i support the fact that he's a 49er obviously um he also got married recently so congratulations mitch um on on your wedding or i think he got engaged but congratulations uh but really what it comes down to is is the effectiveness of a punter versus the effectiveness of another position group is, is, is debatable. But to me, I, I just didn't see the need. And, and like I said, I'm leaving that in the past. Now I'm full on like excited to see him on the field. and full <laughs> on excited to see him pinning teams in the, in, inside the 10 and being a weapon. I'm super excited about a punter, believe it or not. So
0: this is a long rant. This is what, a, this is what drafting a punter does to me. Man. <laughs> I've been ranting. Well, uh, the last <laughs> let me just say, I'm glad you're leaving it in the past. Cause, uh, Full disclosure: uh, I'm a soccer coach's son. I grew up playing soccer. My yeah. one big regret in uh, my athletic career was I allowed a friend to be the kicker on the football team, and I didn't want to compete against him because we were soccer teammates as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I used to be able to hit fifty-plus yard field goals. Probably would have been able to go to college for it, but I just never pursued it. I always did it like I would train with him and stuff as as fun. So mm-hmm. uh, kicking and punting's kind of near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. And I was all for the draft pick. I look at it this way. <laughs> I think I was one of those that was arguing in the slay on Twitter <laughs> in favor of it. But I look right. at it this way. We all know punting and, and kicking are important. They can single handedly swing a game, especially kicking in that regard. You know, a single, single bad punt doesn't necessarily swing a game. But in the fourth round, there was no clear Oh, we got to get this guy. I can't believe he's still there. That guy's really going to help the team. So at that point, who is going to help the team most? We had no answer at punter. And the free agents out there aren't very good. So who's going to help the team most in that fourth round pick? I think they got the guy that's going to help the team most. He's not just a good punter. He's one of the best punters to ever come out of college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is a key to it. I mean, if you just drafted, oh yeah, this guy's the best punter, whatever. You know, then I might question fourth round. But he's one of the best to ever come out of college. And oh, by the way, he runs a four six three forty, so he kind of opens up a whole new uh, game there where we can, the Niners can run some fakes. a la the Rams. You know, McVeigh is a understudy of Shanahan, and he sure likes to use those fake punts with his punter. So mm-hmm. I could definitely see Shanahan doing that, and that's now an avenue that they can pursue because they have a punter who can run four six three. He's Australian, so obviously he's going to be able to take a lick. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we've ever met a a male Australian who doesn't like to play a contact sport like football. So obviously he's going to be able to <laughs> do something there. And oh, by the way, he's one of the best punters to ever come out of college. Has one of the highest career average punt yardages in college football history. And he has a ridiculous hang time. I like the pick, but I have a bias there as well.
1: You know, when you, when you started telling me that story, cause that's the first time I've heard this story. And when you started telling that, I was hoping that it ended with the guy that ended up trying out to be a kicker ended up being like Adam Minniteri or something like that. I, I was expecting, I was half expecting being like, Oh, well that guy actually ended up going to the NFL and, and I should have, and I should have. <laughs>
0: well, <instead> of- <laughs> I, I will say that guy, uh, he was incredibly smart. He's a doctor now. Uh, he went to Northwestern on a full ride. Uh, and while at Northwestern, uh, I remember him telling me he was a freshman and football season had started. And they found out he was on campus and knew who he was because, like I said, I grew up pretty close to Chicago where Northwestern is. Mm-hmm. And they actually said, come be our kicker because they thought he would be the starter at oh, the wow. Division One school. So, Wow. But, hey, you
1: know what? I'm glad that you didn't become a kicker because then we wouldn't be doing this podcast, right? <laughs>
0: or we may we may have,
1: right? Because kickers are important too, right? Because I would have been like, "Hey, do you want to be a guest on my podcast?" And you would have been like,
0: "Sure, I want to be for kicking." I, I'm not under the delusions I would have made the NFL. You know, I could hit <laughs> my my range kind of topped out in the mid 50s, but I wasn't super accurate. I was pretty accurate within 30, 40 yards. You get outside of that, I get a little haywire. The guy that I would have competed against. He was very, very accurate within 50 yards, but outside of 50 yards, he didn't have the leg strength.
1: Well, That's, I mean, 50 yards, man. I mean, I, I can't even punt a ball 20 yards. So 50 yards <laughs> to me is just <laughs> like, it's, it's uh, pretty incredible, but real quick before we wrap up. So as, as we mentioned in the, in the open of the show, NBA free agency, I always like to kind of branch out in the off season and, and touch on different topics. Um, not political though. Just, just so you know, cause we're not going to do that here. Um, although it's, it's very easy. Uh, speaking of which man, Twitter, sometimes Twitter is just unbearable, man. Like I'm not, I'm on Twitter because like, I, I like to talk about sports. I do not use my Twitter for anything other than that. Um, occasionally I tweet out like, like, uh, some sort of a uh, cool thing that I may see about technology and things like that, but I don't like to use it to, to speak politically and things like that. And we keep that out of the show. But lately, like all this stuff, it's like so-and-so with the election and this and that, I'm like, man, can we just get back to football? Can we just get back to like regular real life? And like, you see all these ignorant opinions and things like that. And it's like, to me, the last, I don't know, three ish weeks have been all talking about LeBron and who he's going to recruit to Lakers and politics, which are two of the things that I like to talk about the least. (laughs) And um, that's the goat, right? That's that's the, (laughs) <laughs> the uh, the fake goat yeah yeah him yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: I think I see your Jordan you share Jordan posts all the time that are putting down LeBron I think that's the thing I see most from you on oh Twitter. daily daily <laughs> on, on the daily man like I I will
1: I will die on that hill um and and many people will die on that hill with me that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time and I don't think it's even debatable LeBron is the greatest of this generation but Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time like the things that he did the impact that he had on the game of basketball like you're seeing he was doing like today's things back in the back in the 80s which is ridiculous so right to me michael jordan is is the greatest and will always be the greatest of all time but
0: i I still follow into that i think lebron still has a small chance of doing something here that would surpass but it would have to be you know a good five years of winning titles pretty much every year but You know, we don't need to debate that. That's just going to stir up stuff. But I do agree that Michael Jordan, even though I was always uh, anti-Jordan, you know, I grew up in his backyard, but I wasn't Mm -hmm. a Jordan fan. The whole reason I became a Barkley fan is because uh, I didn't have cable as a kid until Mm -hmm. I was like 12 years old. Before I had cable, we had a thunderstorm that made the reception come in just right to where I actually got... I believe it was Fox. It could have been ABC. I don't remember which network it was. I only used to get CBS, mm-hmm. but it was a network that had the NBA finals and it was the year the Suns played the Bulls. Oh, And I yeah. latched on to Barkley because of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> being a Barkley fan, you got to be an anti Jordan fan because you know, they're buddies and they were always smack talking each other and doing those commercials, you know, sneaker commercials and all yep. that. Yep. So that's why I'm anti Jordan, but yeah, he's the goat. Of course.
1: Of course. And, like we're talking about as of now Kawhi leonard has not decided and the recording of the show you're gonna hear uh him make his decision over i don't know what Kawhi's gonna do it over what carrier pigeon smoke signal like he's just a we- he's just a weird dude right so he's not gonna do it over twitter he doesn't have social media he doesn't have like instagram so i don't know how he's gonna do it like morse code telegraph like i don't know i don't know how he's gonna decide but probably I'm going to say the Lakers cause LeBron can't win without a super team. Like he needs to do that wherever he goes. And I think that he's going to try to, to push really hard now that the warriors are basically done to push really hard to get another couple of rings before his career's over. But to me, it's like, you know, if all you do is just jump ship and build super teams, everywhere you go is, are you really the greatest at that point? Like I understand that you still have to win the games and Jordan didn't do it alone either, but like Kobe is my second favorite player of all time. And to see a guy start and finish his career with the same team over a 20 year career, you're, you're never going to see that again. You're going to see guys that are doing what KD just did and what LeBron has been doing his entire career. Like you'll see guys like that, that chase after the notoriety and not loyalty and times have changed. Just,
0: you know, Kobe was the last, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. the last just decade or so. Especially since the decision happened with LeBron the first time to go to the Heat. Mm-hmm. It fundamentally changed that sport and how the superstars see it. They know they can manipulate the teams. It's a different mm-hmm. sport. There's only five people on the court. One person can really change the fortunes of a sing- single franchise. You don't really see that in football unless it's a quarterback. But even th- then, you see some great quarterbacks who don't have the right coaching mm-hmm. in order to be great. You know, Look at Brett Favre. We all know he started with the Falcons ended up going to the Packers you know, how does a quarterback that great get let go or traded by a team? You know,
1: Steve Young, same Steve thing.
0: Buccaneers, right? Coaching. Yep. That one's very much coaching. You know, he, he was somebody that had a lot of, a lot of faults when he was in Tampa Bay that needed to be fixed mm-hmm. and the West coast offense and Bill Walsh. And especially Mike Holmgren, if you've watched uh football life, Mike Holmgren, you, you see them talk about it. That relates Mike Holmgren that fixed all his little quirks and, got him to be great in the West coast system. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And we're, we're talking about old school ish players and we're, we're dating ourselves here, but <laughs> that being said, what, what Katie just left in the warriors and, and again, I'm not, I'm not like a diehard warriors fan. I support them cause they're hometown and, and it's cool to have victory parades and stuff like that. And I'm Bay area for life. So for me, it's, it's cool whenever the, the area wins and, and the Bay wins, but what he left in Golden State was way better than what he's joining in Brooklyn. It's going to be Kyrie, Katie, and DeAndre Jordan that are going to be the big three over there, and I just I just don't see how that's better than when he left in, in Golden State. And he did it because of his ego, and he did it because. And I have nothing against Katie. I think he's a great a great dude and a great player, and and he did a lot for the Bay Area. Did, does a lot for charity. He's he's a really great guy, but. In terms of basketball, he just seems to be always wanting that validation, right? Even when he was here, the Warriors catered to him for three years. And for those of you that are locally listening, you know that. They catered to him for three years. They made him the superstar. They gave him the first tour of their new stadium. They, they catered the offense to his strengths. The, they called him their best player, even when he wasn't at times. So it really comes down to the fact that the Warriors are and always will be Steph Curry's team. And that bothered him. And he he wants to go to a place where he can be appreciated like the top dog. And if he wins in Brooklyn, then they're going to be his team.
0: Let's put it this way. KD is Kawhi with an ego. They're both a -hmm. little different, not, not bad different. They're just, you know, Kawhi is very quiet. You never know what he's thinking. He Mm -hmm. sees things differently. Kawhi or KD is like that. He sees things differently. I mean, Look what he did in his first big move. You know, he he left Russ in Oklahoma City and joined the team that beat them. Mm-hmm. That was big. And then look at all the burner accounts. That's the difference between him and Kawhi. They both beat to the, you know, go to the beat of their own drum. They're both a, a little different socially. KD's just vocal and has a massive ego. But I will say, I'll ask you one question about that: Who's going to have more? more burner accounts to defend them Kyrie or Katie <laughs> yeah so yeah. I, I heard that did you hear the Kyrie
1: interview on the radio Where in Boston where there was this so I think two weeks ago I was commuting to work and I was listening to them replay this call to a Boston oh, radio yeah. station <laughs> and they were talking they were being critical of Kyrie because at that point they know they knew that he was basically all but gone and this guy calls in and he's like, "Oh well, Kyrie's been through a lot. You don't really know behind the scenes, blah blah blah." And he's like, totally defending him, and it kind of came out of left field. And the radio hosts were kind of paused afterwards, and they're like, "Was that
0: Kyrie calling
1: into our show, like and trying to pretend to be some somebody else defending
0: him?" Yeah, because the voice sounds just like Kyrie. I mean, it, it it's it a does. perfect match.
1: It's a perfect match. And and to those who haven't heard it, I encourage you to Google it, listen to it. I'll try to post it on my Twitter, but please, like, check this out. It's hilarious. So. Really, the, the athletes of today, or I guess this newer generation of players, that's what they're all about, right? They're about, and, and I guess that's part of what goes on in, in the NBA today is that you have to find creative ways to defend yourself. But I, I just don't see how you leave a team that probably would have three-peated. Like they, they win that series with Kevin Durant. like they, they took it almost to seven games without him and without Klay Thompson. So if Kevin Durant is there, they win, they win that series and they 3 peed. I just don't see why you leave that just for an ego. Like to me, I'm a former athlete and winning winning was everything, right? When you win a championship, right. that's that cements you forever. He not only left a team the Warriors would have offered them offered him the max if he if he would have wanted to stay. Not only do you leave a team that would have been the favorite when you come back from injury, but you left like forty million dollars on the table. Right. I just can't I just don't even know why he did
0: that. Like why would you do that? Well, it, it there's there's two fundamental type of athletes, I would say, you know, it's kind of generalizing it, but you got the people that winning's all that matters. They would rather be a sixth man and win than be the number one ego guy or number one alpha male on the team, but losing the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And And then you have the opposite of that, where it doesn't matter how many titles they win. If they're not the alpha, it doesn't matter. And right. KD falls into that. He went to Golden State to get his championships, but there was a backlash that came with it. And it doesn't matter how long he stayed and how many titles they won. There was always going to be, I don't want to say asterisk, that's going too far, but there was always going to be, hey, KD, KD, yeah. He was on one of the best teams of all time and was probably the best player on it, but they were already the best team in the league when he joined. You know, there's always going to be that but to his career. Mm-hmm. And he's not somebody that can live with that. He's that other type that he's got to be the clear cut number one alpha. Golden State's always going to be Steph's team. There was no right. change in that, even though I would say KD is the better player. Uh, it's close, but KD is the better player. He's the more unstoppable force because of his height. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. KD is, he is the best. In my opinion, when he's healthy, he's,
1: he's surpassed LeBron as the best player in the league. I think, I think he has, right? It's, it's debatable, but he's, it's slightly in favor of KD. I think that, that honor now goes to, goes to Kawhi for it's funny how we keep passing them off, but Kawhi is probably the best playing league right now. By the end of the season, it'll probably be LeBron again. And I I think that, like you said, I wholeheartedly agree. There are two types of athletes and he's that type that wants to be the alpha male and get the credit for, for doing what he did. But I I liken this to, he was basically a random player for three years, right? He was a hired gun and we knew, we knew that and and the, the hope amongst warriors fans was that he would resign at the at the end of all of this and they would yeah. they would go believe on me as it. a rockets fan i'm well aware <laughs> yeah exactly so you know right you you guys are probably hoping the opposite so it comes down to what to me like i was talking about this today with with my dad at the at the lunch table and i was like hey when when we heard about KD leaving the warriors i was like hey why would he do this and i kind of thought about it I was quiet and i was like well it kind of reminds me of when Dion went to the Niners in 94 and he was a hired gun. We knew that we knew that he was a hired gun and the Niners have been knocking on the door for a few years and they wanted to have that last push to beat the Cowboys. And they hired, they basically hired Dion to be that, that hitman, Right. And no matter what he did and he was fantastic that year, like Dion that year, I liked him more than I liked Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is my favorite football player and athlete of all time. But that particular year I'm like, they won that because of Dion. They won that championship because Dion was there. Uh, amongst other people, they signed Ken Norton and Richard Dent and Charles Mann and Bart Oates and Ricky Jackson. All these guys they signed, they brought in. But Dion was the reason why they, they got put over the top. But if you look back at Niners history, it's been 25 years since that, that championship, which is way too long they need another one or another few. But it's been 25 years. And do you really look back on that Niners team or those Niners teams and say that, hey, I give Dion the same amount of respect as I give Jerry Rice or Steve Young or, you know, like the guys in the eighties that played like Joe Montana and Dwight Clark and Ronnie law. Do you, do you look at Dion in that, in that, that first echelon of players or do you look at him in another light saying, Oh, well he was kind of like in the second rung of players that were just there for the championship and just left like, like a Matt I, Millen, for example.
0: He, he's in that first rung in terms of cornerbacks. Uh, but in terms of I respect, would debate, you know, right. In terms of respect, I think he, he's, one of those people, when you say best cornerback ever, he's one of them that's brought up. I wouldn't put him there. I would put him pretty close to that. Um, but he's brought up in that conversation. But I would, I think an important part of that is, is what did he do after the Niners? Mm-hmm. He went on to another team and won more championships. Yeah, That's the difference. And yeah. that's what KD is trying to do. Yeah, that's that's exactly what he's trying to do.
1: But like my, my point is that the way that you view Dion as a Niner, even though it was for one year, you don't view him in the same way that you view Rice, Young, Montana, Lott, all these guys, no, right? Like no, it's, it's different. And I think that that's the problem that KD had was that even though he came here and he won championships for the Warriors, he uh, was not viewed in the same way as Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, even Draymond Green were because he wasn't here for the beginning of it, right? He kind of just arrived. He's,
0: yeah, he's not – He's not, it, it goes too a little too far, but he's not a true warrior. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he said, yeah. he's, a hired, he's a hired gun to yep. get them over the top, to keep them the best because – Uh, Well, let's be honest. If they didn't have KD last year, the Rockets probably beat them. They needed KD at that point in order to stay number one. Let's put it this way. When he retires in however many years, because he's only 30 years old, people will remember his Warriors time. But if he wins another championship or two, people are going to say, well, he was a Thunder and a Net, I think. The the Warriors part of his career will be mentioned, but won't he won't be thought of as, of as a warrior? Just like Dion is thought of as a Falcon and a Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people don't even realize he played for the Niners. You know, the young the younger generation that wasn't wasn't around then, they don't even realize he played for the Niners and won a championship one year. You know. Yeah. And I think that's how the Warriors could be with is It's, it's kind of hard to think about now because he's just leaving the Warriors. But if that next chapter goes and wins championships, I think that's how his Warriors team is going to be seen.
1: Yeah, most likely. I think. I think. I think. I agree with that. And it's interesting how you bring up that same fact about Dion, like how people don't realize he played for the Niners. I I, I agree. Even putting it together as highlight reels, his Niners highlight reels, which is, in my opinion, the best season of his his entire career was with the 49ers. He was he was unreal that season and one defensive player of the year and again his first ring people post post highlights of him on the Falcons returning punts for touchdowns or with the Cowboys doing various things like catching passes and returning kicks and and you know pick sixes and stuff but yeah i just think that that sports as it is like guys guys do these things and i don't know why they would do them like you can make the argument that if Deion stayed for another year the Niners go back to back because who would have beat them really there would have been no no team that beat them but again guys go after money and different things and notoriety yeah not just uh,
0: that if he stays uh the packers never get their super bowl i doubt you know the niners they played him three years in a row in the playoffs and they were they were right there with them uh finally you know the catch two happened but you know what does brett fire's career look like if Dion stays and the niners beat them every year you know exactly there's a whole there's a whole domino effect in play there
1: yeah, it's like the butterfly effect, right? Which is a uh, which is a great but depressing movie, by the way. Right? Um, <laughs> but again, uh, and real quick, uh, the, the Rockets lost because of over twenty seven, not because of KD. I'll, I'll just point that out. <laughs> that's why they lost, in my opinion. That's why they lost. You hit a few of those threes, and, and the game is over. But um, yeah, they but they anyway, should have won.
0: Put it that way. They should have. They won, should yeah. have they, won. They lost it themselves. Yes.
1: Yep, absolutely. Thanks for the memory. Uh, but but I, I digress. Um, so. Well man, I mean it's uh it's it's been a pleasure today to to do this with you. This is our first time doing this together. And uh why don't you tell people where they can find you on Twitter?
0: Uh it's the sports bum. That's duh D A. Uh I guess I should probably explain that real quick. Uh I'm a Cubs fan. Uh oh, nice. it's the, one, it's the one local Chicago team I stuck with. Uh oh. I'm a Cubs fan. I grew up in a Cardinals family, so it it wasn't really picking the local team. It was Picking against McGuire during the '98 home run race, but <laughs> uh, I was on a message board way back in the day, and my name was Cubby Bum because <laughs> they call the people who sit in the bleachers Bleacher Bums. So I kind of combined that into Cubby Bum, but it became known as just the Bum. And in Chicago, they don't say the, they say Duh, as in right. D A. So mm-hmm. I just kind of ran with that. I became the Sports Bum. So it's at the Sports Bum. For Twitter.
1: There you go. Just like the doubles, the bears, right? the, the, the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Great stuff, man. Well, thank you again for joining joining me on today's uh, episode of the Know How to Podcast. And, Niners fans, like I said in the opening, you will see more content from this podcast. You will see more content on 49ers Web Zone. Had a little bit of a hiatus there for a couple months just because life just gets crazy. And, um, you just have to deal with a bunch of stuff that is boring to other people right now. So I won't talk about that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you can look for more great content coming up from the 49ers web zone, no huddle podcast real soon. So for black, this is a Nakvi, and thank you very much for listening to another episode of the 49ers web zone, no huddle, no huddle podcast.